All right, today I've got my business coach, Gary Harper, with me. Uh, maybe you guys have heard me on other podcasts talk about how, you know, back in the beginning of 2020, this guy really helped me organize from going from a hustler making money to a true business owner, understanding roles and everything. And uh, he's been such a big help for my business that I had to get him on the show. He's helped many of my students, many of the people who follow me. You know, this guy runs 14 different businesses in the sharper business solution enterprise. And um, he's got a ton of other stuff that I want to dive into um, on this episode. Gary, thanks for coming, man. Ryan, I appreciate you having me, man. It's been an honor. And watching you grow over the last couple of years has made me proud, man. I look at you and see where you are. And, and I walk into clients and they're like, you know, Ryan Pineda? <laughs> and I'm like, I know Ryan Pineda. <laughs> I knew him before he was Ryan Pineda. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. I'm proud of you. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. So for those who don't know who you are, why don't you give them a brief rundown. Sure. So started off um, about 21 years ago now in, in the business world at just kind of worked my way up and uh, in, in small um, positions within organizations and got myself to a, a national manager by the time I was 21 years old, uh, working with Fortune 500 companies and then moved into executive roles with Fortune 500s. And it was in a capacity of consulting, business process outsourcing, big Fortune 500 companies were bringing me in and along with our team to help them. Fast forward a little bit, started loving real estate, dabbling in that, trying to build wealth around that, and did real estate and active in that until about 2008, um, while still working full-time in corporate America. And then got sick, came down with Lyme's disease in 2010, was forced out of corporate America. I'll tell you, it was one of those things where like, it never would have took that path in life for myself, but then God repositioned me. And uh, looking back at it, what I thought was like the worst time of my life became a, such a huge blessing because I don't think I would have ever left. I had one executive of the year, eight out of 10 years, <laughs> and it was successful. And, um, but the Lord had a different plan for me. So that was, that was good that I was willing to listen and take that new direction. Fast forward a little bit from there, we uh, got full-time into real estate, worked with a team out of Northwest Indiana, me and my brother-in-law, built a real estate company, doing over 300 deals a year, 1,400 deals, and I retired. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to retire here at 38 years old, enjoy life. Money wasn't an issue. And I uh, got bored real fast. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about playing golf. And I love golf. I mean, could play golf, you know. I didn't know you were a golfer, dude. Love golf. I would have said, dude, let's come in early and, and go play around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I would have matched up to your talent, but I would, <laughs> I would still enjoy the time, right? Yeah. So, we'll have fun regardless. Yeah. I'm about 14 handicapped. Okay. That's fine. So it's not bad, no. but it's not terrible. I mean, it's not great either. So yeah. if I played more consistently, I probably would be a little bit better. You know, I tell people once you're a bogey golfer, golf becomes fun. So that'd be an 18 handicap. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. It's just, and you can work at it. And that's the thing. It's, it's a personal challenge to get better at, but yep. you know, um, you can only play that so much before you're like, trying to find your identity, your purpose again. Yep. And that's where it was for me. I think a lot of guys struggle with that when they get to stage five of business, uh, with that succession, that retirement stage is like, what do I do? What's my purpose now? And I found myself there and I got a call from a guy out of Richmond and he's like, could you come help me with my business? And I did. And his business grew about 400%. Mm. And we were excited about that. And he started telling other people about it. And before I know it, phone calls started coming in. Would you help me? Would you help me? And Sharper Business Solutions was born. Sharper's actually named after my wife, Susan. Mm. And it's Susan Harper. And right. so Sharper Business Solutions was born from that. And now fast forward to where we are today. We've worked over 1,000 businesses. Uh, we have 14 different companies within our ecosystem. Some of them named Sharper, others not, not named Sharper. I have a Sharper Ventures business that we buy, sell, fix, and flip businesses in. Right. And that's that's where I get really excited. I like right. doing that. Uh, we are able to use our ecosystem to restructure those businesses and help them grow again. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, it kind of brings me to where we are today and and uh, working with different peoples and, and the, the passion that comes behind helping those people grow. Yeah. No, 100%. By the way, this podcast, I'm going to use as just free consultation for me since I haven't seen you in a while. Please. I'm going to ask you things I've been wondering as I've been scaling and growing yeah. since, you know, our first consultation three years ago. Sure. Um, one yeah. of those questions actually relates to something you just said, um, keeping the brand consistent yeah. across all these different companies. Um, I was recently at Grant Cardone's office, and when you see what he's doing with his whole Cardone Enterprises, yeah. everything is a 10X or a Cardone kind of name brand thing. He's got a few that are maybe not, but for the most part, very consistent branding. Right. And for me on all the businesses I've built, I've made them all very unique to that niche and product, whatever it is. Right. I, I haven't tried, and nor did I have a consistent theme. I didn't want them all to be, 
you know, Pineda this, Pineda that, right? right. Um, but now I do have this wealthy brand, which is um, like my passion. My passion is the wealthy way and helping people, you know, not go broke trying to get rich. Yeah. And, you know, I have a couple of companies now with the wealthy name, like Wealthy Agent, Wealthy Woman. And I kind of thought, man, should I kind of rebrand everything into this wealthy brand or keep them all what they are? Because they're all great names and great brands. And yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear what you think is the, the best way to navigate that. Well, I mean, people are going to associate brands with something. And so it's an image is what brands are. They're, they're a straight image for you. And, uh, and I think it's important to have that consistency because you know more than anybody that once you create that brand and it becomes well-known, when you launch another product and you don't tie it back to that brand in some way, it's a relaunch. Right. And you have to go through the same process of building that brand again. Now, if people can associate the brands together, then it gets a little easier. But, um, I mean, how shocked are you sometimes when you go to a product or you hear about something or you buy something, you're like, oh, that's a part of that brand? Yeah. You didn't know. And now it's like there's almost a little bit more sense of a loyalty to it because you're like, oh, it's part of that brand. It's part of that image. It's part of this. It's part of that. And so, you know, even Jordan, for example, like everything Jordan does ties back to his brand, mm-hmm. like everything. Right. And so I, I think it is important to have the, that brand be consistent across, even if it's powered by. Yeah. Right. Like it's got to have a tie back in. Right. I mean, up to this point, you look at Home Run Offer and True Books right. and, um, you know, these different companies and obviously they don't have Ryan Pineda as the name or anything, but you go on the website instantly, you see me, you see what I'm doing. So, I mean, it ties back to like, oh, this is a Ryan Pineda company. Okay. Yeah. But the name itself doesn't say Pineda. Right. It doesn't, they're not all the same, like wealthy books, wealthy offer. Right. And I don't think that's important. I think it's important to still have it powered by. Yeah. Right. Like it's, so people can make that association that this is the product, but this is the brand. Right. Because the name is the product name. Right. right? But, the, but it's, the, it's the Ryan Pineda brand. It's the Ryan Pineda brand. And right. that's really important to carry through. Yeah. And not only that, it strengthens your overall brand when people see that. They see diversity. They see success. Yeah, this guy's channels. having success in multiple right. industries. Like, he knows what he's doing. Right. And so you want that. You want that to for both ends. You want it for the new product to solidify it right away, to help it grow quicker. Right. But you want it to solidify your brand and make your brand strong. Right. No, I love that. So... With business owners in general, right? I mean, you've you flipped 1,400 plus houses. Mm-hmm. You've helped over 1,000 businesses, including mm-hmm. my own. You know, just giving my own firsthand experience, uh, you, your team should chop this up as a testimonial right now and throw it on the podcast or <laughs> throw it on your, your website. Um, that's the cue to your team, by the way. Uh, you know, for me, uh, when I went and met Gary first, this was at the end of 2019, I was coming out of um, a difficult year for myself um, in business. And that was, you know, you don't really know you need help until you finally get hit in the face. Right. So for the first four years of growing my house living business, it was just massive growth every year, three, four X growth, four years in a row, crushing it. 2019 was the first year we ever took a step back. And along with that, I had issues with, you know, my son was born, he was premature, you know, constantly in and out of the hospital and just all these things, lost money on flips, because, you know, bought bad deals, market, um, very similar to now kind of started stalling out. And so my first time going through all these things and I realized, man, I need help. Mm. I need a coach. And I honestly don't even remember how or why I reached out to you because I think I had just heard of you from other people in the circles of real estate. And I was like, I don't know. I see people talk about this guy. I don't even know what he does. Let me call him. And so I think I just DM'd you on Facebook or you something. Did. Do you yeah. remember what you said to me? No. So it's funny. I've I, I how many business calls have I been on? Right. Like, it's not like everybody we talk to that decide to hire us either. Right. So like, out of all the ones I remember, I remember having the conversation with you, and it was funny because we were going through, and I was like really in detail on what we're gonna do and how we're gonna yeah. help it. And you just looked at me like, bro, I'm already sold. Would you? St- just, just tell yeah. me how I need to move forward. Yeah. Just what is it like? Tell me what's going to cost. Where do I send the money? Let's do this. Yeah. And I was uh. already in the mindset of coaching you. Yeah. Because when I get on a call with somebody, it's it's not like I'm gone there to sell them. I'm right. on there to help them. Whether they do business with us or not. Right. I'm already moving forward and coaching you on that call. Yeah. Right. And you're like, all right, dude, 
like just lock it down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing was too, as you know, even for this getting you on this podcast, I've always been this way where I don't want to book things way out in advance. I don't book vacations. Yeah. I don't book appointments. I book literally nothing past like a month. Right. And I've always operated. I enjoy it. And I remember you know, I talking to you and then, um, you're like, yeah, I mean, we're booked out for like the next six months or something. Yeah. You guys were crazy booked out. And I'm yeah. like, one in my head, I'm thinking, I'm never going to meet this guy. And two in my head, I'm thinking, I, I don't know, even know what the, how you live like that. That's crazy <laughs> to be like fully booked out six months, like in my mind. And then um, I was like, dude, hey, if you can move anyone around, like I want to do this like right now. Yeah. And uh, you made it happen somehow. Yeah. You know, it was interesting too. Cause I, so when you talk to somebody on the phone, you know, I've, I've heard on American Idol and things like that. When you talk to people, they're like, well, they have the it, the it factor. You ever heard that statement yeah, yeah, before? Yeah. And there are certain people I talk to on the phone and I'm like, I can help them. But then there are other people I talk to on the phone and it's like, not just going to help this guy. Like he has the it, right? He has what I think it takes to build something really big. And I, there's five stages of business, right? And majority of people call me are in stage one and stage two, that perseverance. And they have a mindset that's going to keep them there. Mm. Systems, processes, all those things will only take you so far. Right. The mindset, overcoming fear is such a big component of growth and success in business. And it's not something that can be taught. It's, it's a behavioral trait that we learn and or conquer or overcome. And you had that already. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so I, not only did we reposition the calendar, I brought in like some heavy hitter coaches with me. You're like, I've never done this, but I want to bring in my guy, Eddie Wilson, who's got, at the time he just sold how many businesses? 78. 78 businesses. Yeah. He, I think he told me, he was at Cardone's event with me that he's now managing over a billion dollars in yeah. assets. <laughs> it's crazy. It is insane. <laughs> and, I mean, multiple. I brought in, you know, my, my wife, Susan, who's done over 15,000 real estate processes, yep. you know, and just named as a woman to watch in Think Realty Magazine, like things like that. I was like, all right, everybody's coming in with me. Yeah. Right? Because it's not every day that you get a chance to pour into somebody that you think is going to take every single thing you have and do something with it. Right. Right. And so that I saw that opportunity and I, I was not disappointed, man. Like it was, and here you are a trooper sitting in the session. Like, I believe you may have COVID. We did have COVID yeah. for sure. And we were all like, what's wrong? Like it doesn't, this was in January, I think of 2020. 2020. Yeah. It was like three, four weeks before the shutdown. Yep. And, and I walk away sick and you're shivering the whole time. Like, <laughs> you're like, I've never been this sick, you know? Yeah. And the fact that we came out of that and was successful in a two day. Yep. With everybody just kind of beat down, yep. it was it was powerful. Yep. And it almost, you know, I'm a Christian, but it almost it looks back to it, and it's like, wow, I wonder if the devil didn't just have something where he's like, I'm going to give everything I have to stop this from being successful. Oh, 1,000%. Yeah. 1,000%. Because your heart to give and give back to people and things like that, the impact, right, mm -hmm. that you make is, is, is substantial. And I'm not sure the devil really wanted to see that happen those two days. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, those two days definitely changed um, my life, the trajectory of many lives after that too. You mm -hmm. know, um, when when I brought you in, uh, social media still wasn't really on my radar of doing it at the level that I ended up doing it, but building the businesses in a way was. And I said, man, okay, what am I doing wrong? Why did this happen, right? Like, I've, why have I been able to have so much success kind of winging it? Yeah. And what happens if I structure it the right way? And so- um, you taught me how to build organizational charts, which I never had. Um, we had no SOPs, no processes. We had no idea about personality test or how to hire or right person, right seat. Right. We didn't know any of that. And within two days, we learned it all. And I, I've always been a guy where if you just tell me the, how to do it, I don't need anybody to like motivate me or babysit me like just tell me exactly how to do it answer all my questions and i can execute it sure really fast and you know that you you asked us I, or i remember you saying like hey this is probably going to take it takes most people i don't know six months six to twelve yep six to twelve to really implement this and execute it and we had it pretty locked in within like two months yeah 90 days to 120 yeah i remember and it was it came right in time for covid to be yeah. locked in and it also came right in time because four months later, I decided, hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to step away from the business to go focus on social media. And the business exploded without me. Yeah. You know, a lot of times um, I tell people there's four reasons we don't grow properly. One is fear. Mm. And uh, fear, you know, the way we get rid of it is knowledge. We have to get the right knowledge on things. 
And I think that's one of the things that we help people with when we go in is, is helping them get the knowledge they didn't have before. We don't know what we don't know. And then it has to be sustained with faith after that. The next thing is, is mindset. Mm. I don't know how many people actually get stuck on this one where the ego comes in. I know one of your core values is no ego. Right. And it's funny because we walk around, I look at your core values, which are on the wall here at your office in multiple rooms, like everybody sees them. And they're in big, in your face, like, this is who we are, which is so important. And people devalue that. But uh, that was one of the things, walk away, I'm like, he's going to do well. One, you're receptive to knowledge, mm-hmm. right? It's, you're, always, you're always a student. Every time I talk to you, you're asking questions. Yeah. Which is, you never stop learning. Right. And that helps you not have fear. I'll tell you, too, this is something that most people don't know. But if you ever come meet me, more than likely, I will end up learning from you instead yeah. because i will ask you a million questions yeah. because i'm trying to learn right the the way that i guess i give back is obviously on camera and stuff like that's me just diving into whatever subject it is sure but um unless you just ask me point blank questions of like hey ryan what should i do how do i do that you know whatever then i will pour into you and give but i i definitely never give people um like just feedback unless it's asked for yeah you know it's interesting though too one ways in which you learn which i don't think people associate this is when you 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 uh digest certain information you immediately push it back out Mm, yeah which is a way of learning if we grew up in school the teacher would take their student and they would have them teach other kids right and that kid would be the smartest kid in the class because they have to teach it and you learn at a higher level when you have to reteach it yeah and so I love that. The other thing was that mindset that I thought you had, which was the no ego. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just about Ryan Panetta. It's about the cause. It's about the purpose. It's about why we do what we do. It's about helping other people. Yeah. And uh, those two things right there, um, I, if you ever ask me, like before systems and process, and we give a lot of credence and a lot of glory to those things, but without those two things, the system and process doesn't work. No, not at all. Because everything else that you build the system and process around is just going to be broken. Yeah. And then the business is limited to your 100% at that point. Right. It's only going to grow to Ryan Pineda's 100%. And it's interesting. I want to tie it back to what you said. You said when I stepped out. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a danger in that because a lot of people could be watching the show and they go, well, I need to get out of the way. It has to be the right time. Right. You have to have the systems and processes. You have to have the right people. You have to have those things. But then you have to cancel your ego out and say, it's not about me. And sometimes the business will grow without you. Yeah, that's the best case. It is. (laughs) Corporate America, 14 years. I would measure the success of my leaders based on when they weren't there, not when they were there. Right. And that that could scare a lot of people because they're like, man, maybe they don't need me or this or that. Right. It's like, no, you've done your job. That's great. You know, I was with a guy a couple weeks ago, and he's got to that stage five, which is succession. And he's like, but I don't want to leave. Like, I don't want to step out. I don't want to just stop working. And I'm like, why? And it hit me. He hit him, and he says, I just don't know what my purpose in life would be anymore. Right. I think that's probably one of the bigger things is somebody just looks at it and goes, but then what? What do I do then? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that that's never the case. We let fear, we borrow from tomorrow's problems all the time. Yeah. That stops our progress in today. And that's the one thing I think with you that I've seen. It's like, no, like there's always something way to grow. Right. And if you're not constantly learning, you won't see those opportunities. Thousand percent. Yeah. I, for me, I've taken what you taught me and applied it to multiple different industries and spun off business after business. And they all launch extremely successful. And, you know, they all run for the most part without me. Now, granted, every business goes through troubles and trials and you got to reinsert yourself and fix them and do all that that's that's gonna happen right but if it can run 95 percent of the time without you it's pretty good it's very good i'd say 75 percent of the time without yeah yeah good right exactly so today's podcast is brought to you by future flipper so future flipper is a real estate education company that i founded back in 2018 and since then we have helped thousands of students all across the country learn how to invest in real estate. And it doesn't matter whether you're trying to learn how to flip houses, whether you're looking to wholesale or build your rental portfolio, we've helped everyone in all the different circumstances. This even includes people who have never done a real estate deal. We've helped beginners get their very first deal. We helped other people who have already done some deals scale to doing multiple deals a month. And we've even helped people get to my level, people to scale their business to doing 
over 100 deals a year, learning to become an owner of the company and not be involved in the day-to-day and learn how to delegate and hire employees at the highest level. So regardless of what boat you are in, we can help you out at Future Flipper. We've got amazing events. We've got amazing coaches. I coach directly in Future Flipper, and I would love to help you get to the next level. So all that being said, if you are interested in getting a free consultation call, a free strategy call to see what it's going to take to help you get to the next level, go to futureflipper.com and you can book a call with my team. Once again, check out futureflipper.com to book a call. I know that many of my listeners on this podcast are high-income earners in fields outside of real estate, and they always ask me, Ryan, how should I invest my money? Should I go start flipping houses? Should I buy an Airbnb? Should I buy rentals? What do you think? And I always say, look, a better use of your time is continuing to build your business and your career because you're already really good at it. Trying to go figure out how to do real estate deals on your own and managing construction and all that stuff is probably not the best use of your time, but you can still invest in real estate by joining Pineda Capital. We will do everything for you. We will find the deals. We will manage them. We will get them renovated. We'll get them rented out and everything else. All you've got to do is invest and you're going to get a return on your money. So if you want to figure out what is the next deal that you can invest in, you can go to PinedaCapital.com. Currently, we're only open to accredited investors only. So if you want to get in on our next deal and you want to get on the VIP list, definitely go to PinedaCapital.com and apply today. You know, I mean, this the world and stories of business have been told hundreds of years, and they all go, you know, they all have that story of like a recession or a downturn or, right. you know, a market crash or something like that. And I always, I, always, I always tell visionaries, like the most important time for you to be in your business is when you have to re-innovate the business. Yes. You know, everybody thinks that it's like a fail rate. I don't know how many times, right, I get a phone call from somebody and they're like, you know, my COO, integrator, you know, whatever, business unit leader, they're failing me. And I'm like, why? Because we're not making money. Recently, it's happening, especially with the change in real estate. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm like, is it them or is it the market? Right. And they're like, well, I think the market. Okay. But they're not figuring out a new way to do it. I said, okay, for here's the thing, though. Just on the very nature of their job description, it's to integrate your vision. Not create the vision. Right. It's your job to come back in the business and re-innovate the product. Right. Hershey did it in the early 1900s. He was out of the business. He stepped back in because his candy bar, his Hershey bar, was not selling. Mm. People could not afford a Hershey bar because they couldn't afford a meal. Right. So he stepped back in. He took the cheapest protein source he could find, which was peanuts, put it in his Hershey bar to give to people as a meal replacement as you humanitarian effort to like feed people. Right. Because people need a protein. Mm. People were starving. So he added the, the, the peanut to his Hershey bar and he says, this is going to be a good year. And the good year bar was born. Oh, that's how good year is. Got that's it. Where it came from. I was thinking it was a peanut Hershey bar. Okay. Yeah, no, it's a good year. That's where he took his Hershey bar, added the peanuts, re-innovated it, launched it and had the best year in sales he'd ever had. Wow. Yeah, and I agree. That is totally the visionary's role. And it's something that, you know, obviously with the changing market, I've had to do is constantly innovate, right? You know, I had a meeting with Home Run Offer recently, and we've been undergoing innovation the last six months, even before the recession um, of becoming predominantly wholesale. Whereas the, you know, the last seven, eight years that we've been predominantly fix and flip. Sure. And I just realized, you know, with everything else I have going on in my career, it's not worth having a company that's all fix and flip with that much liability and risk and everything yep. else. I've also realized wholesaling can be scaled much bigger. Mm-hmm. And so we were already down this path of trying to predominantly wholesale. And then it just so happens too, when you're going into a market like this, wholesaling is definitely safer. It is. So it's absolutely safer. You know, we've had to reinvent that way. We've had to reinvent with, Hey, what is our sales pitch to sellers now? Do we have to go for more creative finance? Do we have to yeah. do different types of things that we didn't do before? Yeah. And that's what we're coaching our clients towards now too. You know, knowledge is so important to make that shift and innovate, you know, your metrics. I always tell people, if you're going to grow a business, you better be confident, right? Arrogance. No, but confidence is very important and you better be confident in the area of vision, confident in the area of your people, Confident in the area of your metrics. You better be profit confident. You better be making money. Yep. And you better be communication confident. Communication is one of the biggest keys to thriving in a business. But, you know, we talk about KPIs and metrics and things like that. And I, 
if we dive deeper into why you started making a shift, we would probably discover that you started looking at your numbers. Mm-hmm. And you're like, the numbers are telling me there are changes that are needed. Yeah. Three major metrics that we watch, and the one that is less important today than it was six months ago, is the performance metric. Mm. There's key performance indicators. That's what everybody knows them as. But there's also a key profit indicator. There's also a key process indicator. And so you have to be measuring all three of these KPIs in your business to make sure they're going. This last 90 days, especially in real estate and other niches as well, because we coach many niches, is that key process indicator tells you when your business is shifting. Right. Right? You can still get performance. For example, a process can break, and you won't see the performance break for three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. But then it's too late. Because one week of broken process will eventually affect three weeks of performance. Right. And if you wait too long to fix the process and make adjustments, then you're going to be on the outside looking in with 12 weeks of broken performance. Yeah, one thing you you said when I first hired you that was super like mind-blowing to me was you were like, hey, every business is 90 days away from like going bankrupt. Yeah. We, we disagreed on that right away. <laughs> I was like, Do you remember that? You're like, yeah. I don't know that I agree. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty crazy that every business could go bankrupt in 90 days. Like what if you're sitting on a ton of cash and you know, all this stuff. But the, the moral of it is true. Like I, I've seen it where, hey, you buy, let's just say going into this market shift, you buy a ton of real estate. Yep you know, and then all of a sudden market shifts, like, boom, yeah, you, you could be toast. Um, uh, 90 days, you treat your employees like crap. They all leave. <laughs> yeah. The business is, t- there's lots of ways to go bankrupt in 90 days. Like if you just do a lot of the wrong things. Yeah. Well, the cash conversion cycle of a company will dictate how fast that happens. Right. Right. And in real estate, it's typically 12 to 16 weeks. Right. Right. Especially in a fix and float company, like you were focused on then. Um, it's a little less, harming to a wholesale business, mm-hmm. which is why it's important when you're going in a recession, you know, you look at that model a little bit more because the money's in the meter drop. Yeah. You think about getting a cab out here, right? And the first thing that hits that meter, they make the money on the meter. They, they don't make the money on the fare. So real estate's that way. Real estate is like wholesale is the meter drop where fix and flip is the fare, mm-hmm. right? So we can get in and out fast, make more money, right? And so it's really important in a wholesale business, when the cash conversion cycle is 30, 45 days, you can control your losses faster. Right. It's a little less risky. Versus a company like in New York, fix and flip company in New York that I was with last year, they have a they have a cash conversion cycle nine months. Right. So and you understand, like if their processes break or what they're doing right now, or what they did nine months ago in a very hot market is affecting them today. Yes. In a recession. Right. And they're licking the wounds because of it, right? right? If they didn't plan properly. So what do you what do you think about all these businesses right now as we go through this economic um, time? Well, I think um, businesses, when you go through a time like right now, they have an opportunity to really walk out of here in a really healthy way, making a lot of money. Yeah, how so? Well, if they innovate properly, they anticipate the turn, they plan properly, they drive those solutions down throughout their organizations. They adjust their processes to match the vision, and then they track it with those three KPIs. You know, I always tell people that if you can forecast properly, drive down that vision, because there's two types of vision. There's long-term vision, there's short-term vision, right? Long-term vision is about potential. It's about hope. It's where most visionaries live, right? But short-term vision is all about results. Right. And so in a time like this, if companies can focus on the short-term, a little more than a long-term, they drive that short-term vision, nine or 13 weeks or less, down into the day with a process indicator, and they adjust that process every single day based on what the market's telling them. That process indicator will create the right performance, which will lead to the right profit for their organization. Mm. Companies right now, let's use real estate, for example. If they're anticipating properly and they're looking at the market and what it's doing, we have a potential for the most valued asset of buying a house could be the mortgage in the next two years, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because 52%, based on statistics that I read recently, 52% of homeowners in the United States over the last two years have a 3% or lower mortgage interest rate. Right. Now, the average foreign mortgage rate over the last 30 years is like 55 to 6%. Where we're at now. Which is where we are. Everybody's like, oh, it went up so much. We're back to normal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I bought my house in 2004, I was like, 5%? Yeah, this is cheap. <laughs> yeah, we got cheap money. 
Now you're looking at that. My son bought a house in February. It was 2.6%. Right. Now, if, if we do crash, right, and the economy starts to turn down and they can't stave it off, we can't have that soft landing that everybody talks about, and we do go through a downturn and people start getting laid off again, businesses start laying off again. Yeah. We always say that the real estate market follows the unemployment, mm -hmm. right? If you want to see if real estate's going to start being more available, watch the unemployment numbers. Right. Right? Even right now, we still have a shortage of inventory in the United States. Yeah, and there's still super low unemployment. Right, and it's still super low. So I don't watch really what the market's doing, what the economy's doing. I watch the unemployment rate when it, before it comes from real estate. Right. But here's the thing. Like, these, these companies can start to position in ways to do, like, seller finance and creative buy-in options and things like that. Right. That put them in position in 6 to 12 months from now to be able to take advantage of a low interest rate. Right. And not refinance that person out of the house or buy them out. The most valued asset right that then is going to be a more uh, an interest rate mm -hmm. and keeping that rate low. Because here's what's going to happen. If, if this happens the way it could, you could have mortgage housing monthly payments higher than what you pay for rent. Right. Right. So in real estate, the decisions we make today could set us in a position of a massive transfer of wealth based on our process and what we do today. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, shortly after our our um, first consultation in, in January of 2020, obviously we went through the COVID thing and everybody will tell you the masterminds we're a part of, like everybody's freaking out. Yeah. Everybody stopped buying. Everybody laid people off. Everybody like was super scared. Right. And whether I was naive or, you know, a good forecaster, as you would say, mm -hmm. I looked at it and I said, dude, this ain't it. You know, I think everybody's overreacting. And I remember a lot. I'm like, dude, you don't get it. You haven't been through 2008. You don't get it. And I was like, here's what I do get is that the market was super hot before this. This was a artificial shutdown and they're going to open it back up yep. and they're not going to let people just, you know, be stuck with something that was out of their control that was government forced. Yep. And I think they're going to just do this. And I was like, I'm going to bet my eggs on that. And also... I think people are going to be locked up in their home watching social media. So I'm also going to bet my eggs over there. Smart. And sure enough, like you said, during rough times, if you have the right forecast, you can position yourself in a way that's going to make you extremely wealthy. And yep. that was exactly what happened. That's so good. You know, it's funny listening to you talk about that time. And you're absolutely right. I remember your mindset there. It still came back to fear of mindset. Yeah. People made this. Here's the thing. Fear causes us to either do something or not do something. Mm -hmm. right and it's still based in fear like your fear was like well what if i don't capitalize on this yeah i'm like this is a huge opportunity yeah yeah and so what what you did and i think people need to take note of is you went and got knowledge yeah you started to evaluate you started to evaluate what it was like in 2008 you didn't just take you know advice based on perspective yeah see when we get advice from people it's either perspective or truth yeah I don't like making decisions on somebody's advice that's based in their perspective. Yeah. Or their wounds and scars. Right. It's like, okay, but is it true? Yeah. Is what that person's saying true? Yeah. And if I can't validate it with truth, knowledge, then I'm not going to allow the fear to control me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you did. I just recently released a book. I've actually held onto it for a year now. Okay. And it's uh, called Thriving Through Hard Times. Okay. It's on Chapter Amazon. one. What's that? Can I, can people get it on Amazon? Yeah, actually, you can get it. Well, actually, not on Amazon, but on my website, they can get it. Okay. And it's a free gift. What's the website? Sharperprocess.com. Sharper, Sharperprocess.com. Yep. Check it out, guys. So we actually, it's a free gift. And I wrote it in a really interesting way. Each chapter is about two and a half pages. Okay. And then there's a QR code that you scan, and there's a video of me talking about the chapter. Got it. Because nobody reads anymore. <laughs> right? And I'm like, I released a book is, is on Amazon and it's called Is Your Business Sick? Yep. And like, I talk to people about it and they're like, they read, right? We all read, but they read a certain amount of pages. Right. So like, but we consume social media. Yep. Based on video. Right. So with that in mind, I released this book with QR codes at the end of each chapter. So it's almost like a Blinkist where it's just the highlight or the, the high level notes. Yep. And then a video of me talking about it and then a worksheet. Right. So the very first chapter in that, though, is, is this chapter here. It's keep going. Like, everybody wants to tuck their tail when it gets hard. Yep. 
And it's not a matter of like not it's it's not a matter of like move forward blindly. Yep. But keep going. You know, I, I just had this conversation with many employees at my multiple companies. Um and I basically said, here's the deal, guys. It's about to get much harder than it's been the last two years. And there's no other way around it. We're going to obviously innovate, but you're going to have to work two to three times as hard as you've worked the last two years to get the same result. You're absolutely right. And there's no other way around it. And you guys can co- complain that the leads are harder now and, you know, we can't. It's just gotten so much more difficult, blah, blah, blah. And if you do have that mindset, you're toast. Yeah. And I go, you ain't going to work here. Yeah. And good luck finding another job, you know, during this time. Right. No, it's going to be hard. And that mindset's so important. I've had similar conversations with people over the last couple of weeks. You know, I put a post out the other day and I said, welcome back, salespeople. Yeah, you got to actually sell. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you have a job again, right? Like, yeah. Not everyone's just freaking, all right, give me, you know. Yeah. You got to actually work for it. I own a personnel company that we're hiring hundreds of people a month for people around the country. The hardest position to fill in the last two years was sales. Yep. It's like, why? Because every job was easy. So they were soaking up. Like, sales were just, it was more order taking than it was anything. 1,000%. So it's like, they're just soaking salespeople up. And there's tons of there's tons of sales in the industry. And not just in real estate, just every niche, period. And so that was one of the most lucrative positions to have. Because people needed you in order to sell their product. And there was, every, there was a lot of people wanting your product. And number two, like, you made bank. Yep. You're not doing much, right? And so now I'm like, welcome back. <laughs> you <laughs> got to actually go through old leads. Yeah. And, like, take it through a process and, and, and work hard. Yeah. I mean, you have to follow up. You have to use techniques again. You have to, you know, you have to actually sell the product. Yep. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, I mean, it's just been anybody in the last two years. Yeah, that's money. basically what I told him. I go, you can't be mad when – the last two years, life has been so easy and money super easy to make. Yeah. And then now money's harder to make yeah. and you're, you're mad about it. I know. I, I, uh, when we go in and help businesses, we go back every quarter with companies and reevaluate and, and look at their profits and key, you know, key profit indicators to readjust strategy. Cause that's what that means about every 90 days. You look at your key profit indicators to determine what strategy you want to have for the next quarter. Right. Process indicators are looked at daily to make adjustments daily and weekly. Performance was looked at weekly, made adjustments on a monthly basis. But that profit indicator, when we go back in and look at it, I take people and I say, all right, let's look at your numbers right now, your trends, against 2018. They're like, why? I don't want to look at 2018. I want to be back to where we were in 2020, 2021, 2022. <laughs> let's go back to a normal market. Normal market, which is the market we're in, right? Yeah. And people argue that, and that's a fine. Your, your perspective. And honestly, it's my perspective. I've said it's a normal market as well. Yeah. Let me let me give my full take. As of right now, this very moment of filming, I don't think that in real estate we're in a recession or that we're in a crash. I think yeah. we're in a normal market right now. Yeah. Maybe slightly favored buyer's market. Sure. And it's important you say as we film right now because in 90 days, as yeah. we talk about, we might not be. Right. It might be a full-blown recession and in a terrible place. Who knows? Right. That's the point, though. The point is, is that you have to measure against reality. Right. Not against fear. Right. And so we look at normal markets and we go, where are we at today versus 2018, 2019? Right. And if you're doing better than you were then, now, if you had a consistent business and things like that, you have something to compare. If you weren't in business at all, then you have to benchmark. Right. And that's important. So it's, uh, I think it's important that the, the, the companies that are out there predict properly right now to look at where we're going. Right. You ask the question about making money right now. It's one is, first of all, you better keep going. While keep going, innovate. Yep. Make the appropriate adjustments. And then realize that fail right now in a business is usually process-related, not people-related. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of a lot of different masterminds, and one thing I have noticed across all of them is that they're very male-dominated. And recently, Heather Blankenship, my now partner, um, attended one of my events, and she said, Ryan, we need to change this. We need to start a mastermind for women because they are looking for something like this. They just don't feel like they belong. And I said, great, let's do it. So we started something called Wealthy Woman, which is a mastermind dedicated to women in entrepreneurship. We've got members all across the country supporting each other, networking, growing together, going on retreats, you name it. 
they're doing it. It is an amazing thing. And it's not only just for women in entrepreneurship, but also spouses like my wife who are of uh, entrepreneurs or who are partners in the business. So if you're a woman in entrepreneurship or you think your wife might benefit from some community with other women in the industry, then Wealthy Woman is for them. Go to wealthywoman.io to apply for a call with our team and see if it's a good fit. Once again, that's wealthywoman.io. One of the most overlooked aspects of running a business is who you're using for your bookkeeping, accounting, and your taxes. Unfortunately, most investors go the cheap route and they end up paying for it in the long haul. They're not properly keeping books. They have no idea how much money's coming in, how much money's going out. They're really just running off of their gut instead of running on hard data. This is where TrueBooks comes into play. TrueBooks is my CPA firm where we have helped hundreds of investors and small business owners all across the country get their books dialed in, pay less in taxes, and take advantage of every deduction that you are entitled to. Most CPAs, it seems like they're working for the IRS. We are not that way. We want to make sure that you get everything you're entitled to. So if you want to learn about how we can help you out today, go to truebookcpa.com. Like I said, we've helped out real estate investors. We've helped out crypto investors, entrepreneurs, influencers, you name it. We have helped them and we can help you. So go to truebookcpa.com. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with a lot of people being in real estate um, who listen to the show, it's just, man, if you've gotten used to the last couple of years, that's not normal. It's not normal to have 20 offers on a property yep. and to sell it for 50 grand over what you thought you were going to sell it for. That's not normal behavior. No. You know, it's normal when things take a long time to sell and buyers can negotiate and get closing costs and get repair. Like that's 2015 through 2019. Yeah. That was how we functioned in right. 2020 through 2020, you know, early 2022. It became this weird thing where anomalies. Yeah, that's never going to happen again. Yeah. And, you know, whether we talked a, lot, a little about real estate, but it's any business out there. It's, you know, we coach dropship. We coach a lot of different e-commerce, SaaS businesses. They're all experiencing it right now. There's right. a drop. When you infuse the amount of money that we infused into our market in the last two years, you're going to have spend. People are going to use the money. And they spent it on things. They spent it on the, the things they wanted in life that they couldn't have before, you know, all those things. Experiences. And so there's going to be an adjustment in every niche right now. I mean, FedEx came out the other day. If you, I don't know if you saw his the report by the CEO. No. But he said that he's warning of a global recession. Okay. And his reason for that is the amount of product that FedEx is shipping globally and the drastic drop from a year ago. Right. But that's... Isn't that to be somewhat expected right now, right? Like we're having an adjustment. We're in a high inflation I'm not, We're market. not doing it at, you know, the levels where everybody had free money. Right. I mean, yeah, where was we FedEx decided revenues? to do another recovery in, you know, injection of money back into the, you know, the pockets of Americans again. Yeah. It, you know, which, which I think is actually very likely. It could. Yeah. And if it does, then you have probably another infusion. Yeah. Of money coming back into business. Don't make the same mistake twice of missing out. Right. Yeah. And take advantage of it. Predict yeah. properly. Yeah. So those those are the things that I would advise anybody that's wanting to take a business opportunity right now and make wealth out of it in the next year. No, I love it. I love it. So one thing you mentioned, and you and I have had this discussion in depth um, before um, during Masterminds, is the five stages of business. Mm -hmm. And you've, you've alluded to it a couple of times, but... I want to go through each stage with you. Um, you want to break down the five, and then we'll go through yeah. each one. So stage one is startup. And people can be in startup for some time. I mean, it's time, money, and resources. That's what I always tell people. When you start a new business, you have to evaluate the time you're giving it. And I think the most important ingredient of time is when do you plan to hit the cancel button on it? Mm. Money, how much money you need, how much money you need to make, and what resources do you need to get started? Phase two is this. It's perseverance. A lot of people refer to it as the grinding phase. You hear it a lot in real estate where guys say, I'm grinding. I hate that word, by the way. Right. Grind word. I mean, just who wants to have the mindset to grind? Persevere, for me, is like, let's get through this stage. Mm -hmm. And that's the fundamental stage. That's when you just become a business, but you now you have to actually make it into something. And usually, that's a phase. I love this thing right here. Where I, I, I think there's a mantra of stage two mm -hmm. where people say, I want my time back. I want right. my time back. I want my time back. Because they're being pulled in the business in a lot of hours. Stage three is what I call viability. I call this the forgotten stage of business. Okay. Um, it's a viability stage. It's where we're trying to make sure the business is viable before we scale. Um, and it's, it's uh, about people, leadership, productivity, and profitability. 
Then there's stage four. Stage four is that scaling stage. It's the expansion stage, the 10X stage. It's where you take your product and you say, okay, this is good enough to go big. Right. Um, and then the last stage is succession. And succession is where you've reached your purpose with that business. Um, as a visionary, maybe the CEO, it's hit its BHAG goal. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you have to make a decision. Right. Do I relist, re-up? Do I sell it? Do I bring in a new CEO, a new mm-hmm. visionary? Right. Which is where I am in a lot of my businesses. I don't like being the visionary of my companies. Right. I want to bring in somebody else. I want to live in the owner's box. Everybody talks about that visionary seat being the best seat. And by the way, the visionary seat is not a beach seat. It's a seat in your business. Right. It, it expects you to be there. And right now, you better be there in full force because you should be innovating your products right now. Right. But the owner's box is not. The owner's box is a beach seat. Yeah. I like that. I have one. I have four meetings a year. Right. I go to my visionary meeting with my with my my visionary. He brings to the board our vision for the next ninety days. Tells me how much money he expe- predicts we're going to make, and I collect a check from the last ninety days. So yeah. I really enjoy that seat. Right. But those are the five phases. Um, sometimes people hit the fifth stage by their head hitting the pillow for the final time. Mm. Right. They had no planned exit, and they just they put their eyes on their or head on the pillow, close their eyes, and never wake up again. That's stage five for them. Right. Had a couple of clients do that in the last year with COVID. Mm. Close your eyes and never wake up, and the business goes into succession. Wow! And uh, luckily, they had planned to some degree of an exit, so it was helpful for them. But those are the five. I just told you earlier. Stage one is about time, money, resources. Uh, stage two is about fundamentals of business, like what, your, what are your core values, creating a vision plan. It's uh, strategy planning, short term, long term behavioral assessments, right meeting structure, communication. This is where metrics. I was when I first met you. It is. You were in state two, which is where a lot of people come in. Right. I would say 95% of small businesses are are in stage two or live there their whole lives. Right. Well, yeah, most people would live in stage two. Yeah. And they own a job. Yeah. And their business owns them. Right. That's why I hear, I want my time back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Now, the mistake people make, Ryan, is they leave stage two when they have a profitable product. And they want to go straight to stage four. Mm. They want to go straight to scale. And if they do that and they don't do that properly, then the businesses falter and fail for multiple reasons. One is you hear, I didn't have the right people in the right seats. Right. Um, the, the business doesn't make as much money as I thought it would. What worked here doesn't work in another market. Right. And those are all excuses. The reality, if you do it that way, if you go from stage two to straight, straight to stage four, it's reality. And usually ends up costing your bottom, your bottom line. Mm. Your back pocket usually suffers the most. And so then entrepreneurs look at it and go, why am I scaling? I'm just going to take it back. I don't know how many masterminds I've been in before, Ryan, where guys are like, I make less money now than I did when I had two employees. Right. And the reason for that is because they went to stage four inappropriately. So you're supposed to go to stage three first. 100%. And what's stage three again? Stage three is viability. Okay. It's a stage in which, and this is why we, me and my partner, Eddie, wrote the Empire Operating Model. It's, the reason for that is because everybody left out stage three. Mm. You have systems out there that focus on stage two all the time. There's a very popular one that we worked with you on. Yep. That is a stage two, in my mind, a stage two business model. Stage four is like a scaling type business model. Going from one to the other leaves you in a very vulnerable place. Stage three is about developing leaders in your organization. Right. Stage three is about not just documenting your process, what you do, but documenting the procedure of how you do it so when you walk away, it still gets done. We document processes when we're close to it because somebody goes, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? And you can answer it. But in stage three, it's about the procedure. Like, how do they do it? So when you're gone, they do it right. And more importantly, it's about taking that process and procedure and making it as productive as possible, mm-hmm. right? And leaning the company out. Right. That's a stage in which we focus on leaning the business. And people will look at that and they go, well, you're talking about letting people go, things like that. Well, your processes should have gotten so efficient at this point, you may not need as many people. Mm-hmm. And then the next, next thing I'm focused on that stage is profitability. I want a budget and performance that tell me what it's going to look like in stage four. A lot of people make the mistake, Ryan, is not paying themselves in stage two, and they, they sit in multiple seats in their company. Mm-hmm. And I think this is probably the most valuable thing if, out of all things we talked about today that entrepreneurs can resonate with, is if you're in stage two trying to get to stage four, you better budget and create a performa 
that shows you what it looks like. If you're sitting in a seat that takes three hours a week, you better budget for it. Right. If you're sitting in a seat that takes 15 hours a week, you better budget for it. And not just you, but you have employees. Usually a real estate company has a minimum of 48 seats in stage two, even a wholesale business. Right. The thing is, some of the seats are like one hour a week. Some of them are three hours a week. Some of them are 10 hours a week. But you still have to budget for those seats because what happens is when you leave stage two and go straight to stage four, you're forced out of all those seats. And then what happens is when you're there, you look back at the profit and you're like, I thought this was a 60% margin business. Mm-hmm. Why am I only making 20% margins? It's always been a 20% margin business. <laughs> you just didn't know it because you were ro- you were taking the profits or you, were t- you weren't paying yourself and it was falling straight to profit. Mm-hmm. And I call that the false profit of, right. of business ownership. Right. Where people have this perception of the, it's very profitable and then they get to stage four, they're forced out of all their seats. And they get to a point where they don't see what the true profits are. And viability, which is stage three, I want to know exactly what those profits are going to look like in stage four mm-hmm. with all the people sitting in all the seats. Right. Because I want to know, is this scalable? Is it a viable business? If I have a business that looks like it's a 40% margin business, and then we get to down to stage four, and all of a sudden it's actually 10, 12% margin business, I don't know that I want to scale that business. No. Right? No. And so it helps me make the decision. Should I stay in viability where I'm making a lot of money? I got the right people in the right seats. I'm profitable. I can step away. I can enjoy the beach. This is kind of where I've been at with a lot of my businesses yeah. in between three and four. Yeah. Um, because, you know, obviously I've built them where I don't have to be involved. Um, and they're viable. They're making money. It's yep. great. And we did account for, you know, the dollars because whatever, right? Um well, I guess what we haven't accounted for is like if we did hire a, a true COO, yeah. right? Because right now I run the COO seat or CEO seat, sorry. CEO. Um, but yeah, I mean, every business that I have now, I weigh it as an opportunity cost of like, man, do I want to scale this? Because I have these other opportunities now that are much better to be scaled. Right. And that's why for me, I haven't really tried to scale house flipping because I'm like, why? These other things are way better. Sure. Well, there's a couple things we're evaluating. Money is one of those reasons we would evaluate going to scale. The other is purpose. Yeah, and the, what's the purpose what's of the purpose? me flipping, you know, more houses? Right. It's just more money. And if there's no purpose-driven reason, you shouldn't. Yeah. You just shouldn't. I don't care how profitable it is. If it's not going to help you achieve your purpose, right? then you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I see more people sell those businesses because they're profitable yeah. and move into their purpose at that point. Right. And that's a fine thing to do. I tell people never leave stage three and go to stage four in a business model if it's not purpose-driven. Right. Because here's the thing. There are no guarantees just because it was profitable and viability that it's going to be profitable and expansion. Yeah. This is kind of where we're at with Future Flipper is that we're now in stage four of like, let's scale this thing Mm -hmm. to the moon. You know, we have purpose behind it. We love teaching people how to flip houses. You know, and I want to make sure there's a clear distinction from what I'm saying is like me teaching people how to flip houses I'm very passionate about. And for most people, creating a house flipping business that makes them a few hundred thousand a year is like amazing. Yeah. It destroys what they were doing before. It's more right. money, more freedom, everything. For me, when I'm talking about, you know, in my, my own unique situation, it's like, yeah, I have other opportunities that make me millions with more purpose right. and less work and more scalability right. than trying to scale house flipping. Yeah, and for somebody that's trying to get out of a job and they're trying to make wealth happen in their life, f- fixing a flipping a house can be very wealthy driven model. Oh yeah, I mean changed my why, life. It's why exactly that's yeah. why I did it. Yeah, I always tell people real estate was the thing to get me to my thing. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Yeah, and it's helping people. Well, and real estate's also the thing once you get to your thing mm-hmm. that you end up going back to to write off all the money you exactly. make from your new thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Without it, it's a necessary evil at that point. Yeah. I have yeah. to buy, I have to continue to buy real estate no matter how much uh, I want. <laughs> right. 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 So, you know, once we leave that viability stage, we've left it for purpose. We've done the right thing. We have the right people. We have leaders. Yeah. We have profitability and we have productivity. Now we can scale properly. Right. And I think the success rate, talk about this small business association and the fail rate of 10 years for a company. I think it would be much higher if people actually took viability more serious, mm. right? And then go to scale, right? Um, which in scale, it's like stage one again. You have to reinvest time, money, and resources, right? 
the what was very profitable hitting your back pocket as an owner in stage three, you have to now reinvest. And there's some budgetary items that have to come in, like research and development, capital expenditures, things like that, that have to be brought in as well for stage four that are really important for that stage to be successful. But once you get there, and if it's purpose-driven, boy, it's the most rewarding stage. Yeah, you and I talked about this before I started getting so heavy into tech and other things. But yeah. what what I can't even remember the conversation. It was it was at CG was with at CG, yeah. we were just chatting like at the bar or something. Yeah. And you were telling me this exact blueprint. And I was thinking through my head of scale. And I think you and I were basically talking like, hey, if you want to scale to a hundred million dollar company or a billion dollar company. Like, what do you think I should do? Right. And you were like, it's got to be tech. Yeah. That's the only way. Yeah. I mean, tech's the fact, well, based on who you are, because you're drive to want to get there quickly. Yeah. Right. Like you can get there other ways, but like the best way to get there, the fastest way to zero or from zero to go is tech right now. Right. You know, a SaaS business or some type of business, even if you have a service type business, you can get there if you bring in the the technology side of it to that business, right? Much quicker. Mm-hmm. The EBIT on a company goes up, right? And so, every one of our businesses, like I had to tie it back to a software, right? Just to make it stickier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like in real estate. Why do people do property management for the tech? Yeah, well, they do it for tech, and then they also do it because it's a necessary evil to get the other things they want, right? Like, mm. And so it's like a support product to fix and flip. It's, a, it's one of these things. Right. Well, like service-based business or like a support product to a tech company. Got it. It's pretty much why I do it. Got it. And then, you know, from there, you go to step five, succession. Yeah, succession is a beautiful stage, but it's also the most confusing stage. You because lose your identity, like you said. You do. You, you've built your company for however many years and... You know, you go to the office every day for all these years and you're grinding it out. And then all of a sudden you got this fat stack of cash and you're like, what do I do? Yeah. I actually find that more people hit stage five with depression than I see in any other stage. Mm. You know what you told me is people skip stage four. You said they go straight from three to five. They do a lot of times. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they don't have the purpose to do it. And it's just about the money or, you know, they get to that stage and they go, all right, I'm ready. Like, I don't want to scale this thing. So they just leave straight from stage three, go straight to stage five. Yeah. Which is succession. and uh, But they still have the same problem that everybody does when they get to stage five. It's like, who am I now? Mm-hmm. What, am I, what am I known for? It's so much easier if you start planning that exit in stage two when you get there than when you get there. Right. So like I've seen you do it. I've seen you like always have this other thing. Like you're always, because you're learning all the time. Yeah. Like what else could I do? What else could I do? Right. I don't ever plan to retire. I tried it once. We talked about it. 38 yeah, I don't plan years to old, retire either. Dude, I got so freaking bored. Yep. Like, I, that's just not who I am. Mm-hmm. I want to solve problems. Yep. I will even create problems just to solve them, <laughs> right? So you're like I like to test my capacity of what I'm capable of. Yeah, that's what I like your to limits. Do. You know, I was watching the Top Gun movie as on my flight here. Uh-huh. And he's like, my job here is to find your breaking point. Okay. I love that. Like, yeah. I don't know why everything that movie got me excited about. Like, I like living in the uncomfortable. Yeah. I like that. I embrace the uncomfortable. Like, I indulge in it because it keeps me at my limits. You know what something Cardone said during um, my time with him? He said this to everybody. He goes, hey, look, you want to grow? Uh, obviously, you're going to have to give up things. You're going to sacrifice things and get uncomfortable. And basically, he said something to the same nature of like, look, I embrace hate. I embrace lawsuits. I embrace all the things that come with growth because that's just part of it. Yep. And it's just like, you know, a lot of people don't want to get uncomfortable. They don't want to deal with, oh man, I got to risk hiring this next guy. I got to yeah. risk spending more money on ads. Man, this person's not going to like what I say. And it's just like, no, nah, dude, you got to embrace all the negative things that come with growth. Yeah. And if you look back at history, successful businesses as we see them today, Disney. I mean, he filed bankruptcy multiple times. Right. Right? Like, you know, everybody has that story. Yeah. Of where they had to embrace. You know, one of my favorite stories was Rockefeller. Rockefeller had so much fear of loss. By the age of 48 or around that age, his health deteriorated so much, his hair started falling out. Mm. His body hair started falling out. Wow. Like, he had to have a special diet because his stomach was so messed up. 
If that's the only judge of whether you're stressed or not, then I'll, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, you're doing really good. <laughs> like, where's your stress, right? Yeah. Like, I, don't, I can show you some of mine. Mine's <laughs> yeah. a little bit gone. But anyway, he got to the level of like, he had to like, let go. Yeah. He had to like, get to a point of going, I can't let fear. And now this, mind you, Rockefeller is probably the most successful businessman I consider in the last hundred years. Yeah, they say he'd be like freaking trillionaire. Yeah, and it's still the legacy lives on through his family, which right. is insane. That usually doesn't happen for that long. No. It's very rare to have businesses like that. But anyway, he started the Rockefeller Foundation. And he started that from that illness because he said, instead of being fearful of losing it, I'm going to start giving it away. Boom. And it rocketed him. Mm. Like it was fear was gone and he wasn't fearful of losing anymore. Yeah. Right. And I think we all have that somewhere in us. Like you can, we all can like, well, I got rid of this fear and I got rid of this fear. My biggest fear in the world is flying. Really? By far. You know how people you get do for a snakes? Yeah. Like, that's my fear is flying. Wow. At 21 years old, I wrote about this in my book, Is Your Business Sick? I said, my boss came to me. I was a, I was a national manager of business initiatives and development. I wish to go around and help patent law firms and stuff with their businesses. And he's like, I need you to go to this place in, in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I'm flying like over this area, the Vegas area. And something happened where we had this massive drop in the air and a stewardess hit her head and we had to have an emergency landing. Dang. It was crazy. So we land. She gets off plane. I'm rocked a little bit. I'm like 20 years, 21 years old. I'm like, wow, that was freaky. Like never experienced that before. And I didn't realize how much it really hit me until like a couple of weeks later and I get back home. And he's like, so I need you to go to D.C. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Jacob was just born. It's not going to good time with me, blah, blah, blah. Made an excuse to get out of it. A couple of weeks later, I need you to go to Dallas, Texas, or Austin, Texas. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work this time either. Like, can I just do it? Can I just call him? <laughs> and excuse after excuse. And he comes to me. He's like, hey, tomorrow I need you to go to Indianapolis. Now, mind you, I live in Chicago, outside of Chicago. And I'm like, okay, Indianapolis. Yeah, so what do you want to do? And then we talked about it. I'm like, yeah, I can go tomorrow. And he's like, looks at me really confused. He's like, tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. He says, you don't need to talk to your wife and the kids. And I don't know, we're good. And he starts to walk away and he turns back and looks at me and goes, hey, like, why, why this and not the other two? Like, your situation hasn't changed. And then I said, it's just, it's a better time. And he looks at me and pauses and he goes, are you scared to fly? Because <laughs> <laughs> I made a comment about I'll just drive down. Oh. And he's like, are you scared to fly? I'm like, no. And within seconds of saying that, it hit me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, I told him, like, I, yeah, I think I am. And I told him the situation. And you know what? It's crazy, Ryan. It's never gone away. Mm. I've flown over 1,800 times. Jeez. Five times a week on average. We're in five cities a week on average. That's Last crazy. week, we went to Seattle, then Phoenix, and then Nashville, and then home, right? Like, every week, five wow. times a week. I get on every plane with the same level of fear, but I knew if I was ever going to be successful... I couldn't let that fear stop me. Mm. And so I get on every single time, and I look at that almost as a blessing to say, you know what? We can do anything if we don't let fear or mindset stop us from doing it. I love that. I love that. So I do it. Are you uh, flying first class these days? or so? That's a lot of flying, dude. It Have is you thought about the private jet? Like what's... So I saw your video recently yeah. on TikTok, and I'm like, Ryan's got me, man. I think, yeah. So we spent over $400,000 last year on travel. Yeah. And, like, it's definitely justifiable, right? Um, what, getting the jet? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's totally there. I have a picture of it. Yeah. It's the sharper on the side of it. But you're, you, would you be scared going in your private jet? No. Actually, I've flown before. I've flown a little, little like, N295 plane uh -huh. with a parachute. Like, you push the button and the parachute pops out. Uh -huh. Did fine. Okay. It's not having control. Uh, it's not, I, not knowing what's going on. I would be like, man, I'm because the, the jets are a little more like shaky and turbulence because yeah. they're so small compared to a big yeah. commercial plane. But no, you're, I mean, you're we fly some of the smallest planes, you know, like the two seaters and 60 people. Wow. Which I mean, we fly those all the time to like little cities like Raleigh and Charleston, West Virginia. And yeah. You can't get a big plane in there. So we have to fly those. I don't mind those at all. I still don't like it because I'm not in control, but I've, I've come to realize it's just me not knowing, not having knowledge of what's going on that mm -hmm. creates a fear. Right. And that's what creates fear, yeah. not having knowledge. Yeah, we're going to have to get <laughs> so. the, the sharper jet. Yeah, I have a picture of it. Brandon's already designed it for me. And <laughs> so it's on the vision board. Um, in regards to first class, yeah, we fly a lot first class. Yeah. And Kaiser say airline doesn't have it, right? Like Southwest, sometimes right, right. we have to take Southwest. and Yeah. But we're A-list 15. Yeah. So I'm like the first person, one of the first people on the plane. So I sit wherever I want. There you go. So, yeah. No, that's so good, not man. first class, but. That's good. 
Well, dude, man, I always enjoy having you, man. And as a friend, as uh, a brother in Christ, as a mentor, as a, you know, just anything, man, you've helped me a tremendous amount. You've helped other people just crazy amounts. And, you know, uh, you've, you've helped bring me clarity as well of where I've been, where I'm at and where I could potentially go with all these things, especially talking about the five stages of business. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate you too. And before we we wrap it, I want to say this, and I don't think a lot of people will do this or have the opportunity to say this, but um, me and Ryan have been friends now for a couple of years, text back and forth, and and uh, I get a lot of people that talk about Ryan, and they're like, you know, they're they're amazed by who he is and what he's accomplished in life, and you should be. Um, let me say this: though, Ryan's a real deal. He is. His heart's there. His passion for Christ is there. His passion for people is there. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't disguise and say none of us don't enjoy making money. Right. Right. We do. It's not the money aspect of what we do. It's what we can do with the money mm-hmm. that I think we and you connect so much on. Yeah. And uh, and there's good purpose behind why you do what you do. And so I think the world needs to know that Ryan's a real deal. He does what he says. His numbers are right. Like I'm his business coach, so I can see. <laughs> um, he's the real deal, and I think you guys uh, do yourself a disservice if you don't stay to these his teachings and things. So stay glued in on him, where he's going. He seems to be always one step in front of a lot of people. So it's a good place to be, right? Who, where I don't think I'd rather pick uh, somebody else to follow than somebody that's just one step ahead of me. Cause here's a cool part that about that is that, you know, they're, they just lived it. So their experience is so much better. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus you hire somebody and they did it 20 years ago. Right. Right. So I love the innovation. I love the mindset. Appreciate you and value you very much, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words, man. For anyone watching this who wants to hire you guys, where do they go? Sharperprocess.com. Okay. They can get on there. Um, they get a free consultation. They'll actually can go on there and get that book. We send that book out to just, just about anybody wants it. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty quick read. It's really, really, really thin. Again, a lot of the content's in the video. Yeah. Less the, uh, the, the reading part. But that would be my suggestion. A lot of different products. We don't have a one-size-fits-all solution for people. We look at where you are, what phase of business you're in, what you're struggling with the most, and then we make recommendations on a product based on that. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, here's a here's an operating model, and this is what we implement for everybody. Right. Yeah. Like I said, guys, well worth it. We still use their their model today in all of my businesses. It's why I'm able to start them up and spin them off so quickly or so quickly. So um, definitely check it out, sharperprocess.com. Gary, yeah. thanks for flying in today, even though it pained you to do it. I now know that. Uh, But dude, once again, it's great. Guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will catch you on the next episode. Peace. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wealthy Way podcast. If you got value, there are two things I want you to do. The first is go to wealthyway.com and get access to all of our free stuff. You can download our courses for free. You can use the Wealthy Way planner for free. You can subscribe to our newsletter. All of it's free. It is such amazing value. I want you to go take advantage of that. The second thing is if you could go to Apple and leave a five-star review, or if you're watching this on YouTube and subscribe, that would be amazing. It would mean a lot to me. In fact, if you leave a review, I might just shout you out on the next episode because we are reading those. So definitely check it out. And thanks for watching.